Impact, Income, and Influence. Welcome back to Grow Your Impact, Income, and Influence, the number one show helping you reach millions. Today, we are going to be talking about reaching millions of gamers. That's right, people who play games. I am joined by two people that I am so excited to talk to. Tim Swindle, who started a game way back when called Utter Nonsense. It was a card game. If you're familiar with Cards Against Humanity, you're going to know what that is like. He started that. He got in touch with Scott Brown, my other guest who owned a game store called Marbles together. That was a long time ago. Moving forward in time, they have now started something called Paddle Smash. We're going to get into what that is. If you like pickleball, you'll want to pay attention. Tim, Scott, welcome to the show. How are you guys doing today? Good. Thanks, nice to be yeah, here. Nice. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, no problem. They're both so excited. Um, Tim, I'm going to start with you. Tell us a little bit about Utter Nonsense and where that came from. How does somebody just sit down and start a card game? Sure. So uh, I, at the time, I was a software entrepreneur. And uh, you know, it was uh, venture-backed, um, leading a big team, burning a lot of cash. And I just had this creative itch that I wanted to scratch for a card game, you know, like you mentioned in the opener, you know, Cards Against Humanity was something that I was fond of and we played as friends. And uh, there was a game that we played when we were, had nothing to do up at lake houses uh, and just wanted to pass the time. Uh, ultimately that became utter nonsense. And it was just kind of a, a fun passion project uh, that I came up with on the side. Um, unlike almost any other business that I've been involved with, it did kind of catch on quickly. Uh, I was introduced to Scott, as you mentioned, who founded Marvel's The Brain Store. They ended up being the first retailer to carry that game. From there, I uh, got picked up by Target, Barnes & Noble, some of the bigger players. Um, and so kind of fell in love with the space. Uh, it's a very fun industry to be in. And um, yeah, so, so that's kind of the, the backstory of that. Awesome. I have a lot of questions around that, but I want to transition to Scott. So Marble's the brainstorm. I remember the first time I went in there. So I was one of the kids that could do Rubik's cubes. I could do, actually, you can see that's, that's a six by six back there, but I went six by six, eight by eight, 12 by 12, like all the way up. And I remember I loved going to that store because I never knew what I was going to find. How did that store come about? I mean, did you, were you like doing a garage sale or a flea market one day and you're like, this works? Do you just like brain games? How did that store come to be? You know, the origin story is kind of fun. We, I was working, there was a venture capital firm in Chicago called Sandbox Industries. And they were hiring a bunch of young, aspiring entrepreneurs to come into the office. They'd offer us office space and basically said, come up with ideas and we might give you a little bit of money to try it out. We were always kind of digging through what was online. We came across this article in the New York Times that was the top 10 fears of baby boomers. Uh, number two on that list was cognitive decline. And we were like, well, that's an interesting fear. Like, I think they've all seen their parents go through some form of cognitive decline. Like, Is there something we can do here? We started doing research and found out there was a bunch of cool products that were going after that space. We thought, well, no one's really aggregating all that together into one spot. We decided to do it. We opened a store in downtown Chicago. That went well. And over the course of the next 10 years, we opened 40 stores across the US. And then eventually that was sold to a big Canadian company. I mean, that's a pretty cool journey. I think we'll probably unpack that a little bit. First off, um, I lived in Chicago. I lived at 441 Erie, right behind the W. Where were you at in Chicago? So I was I was in Lake, I was in 
Oh, sorry. So I was in Lincoln Park for two years and then ultimately ended up in Evanston. So I was in Evanston for another eight years. And where was the store? And the store, we, so we had a number of stores. The very first store was on Grand, uh, okay. just off of Magnificent Mile. So it's probably the store you saw if you lived on Erie. Yeah, yeah, that would have been right by me. That's awesome. The second question I have for you is, how did you get involved with the incubator? I'm going to call it an incubator where they just like, did you answer a Craigslist ad that was like, come in and hang out? Like, how does that because I think a lot of people are like, what I can sit around all day and come up with ideas. And if I come up with a good one, you'll fund it. How did that's like a dream unicorn spot? Honestly, I lucked into it. I, I wish it was through some merit of my own. Um, I, I had a brother-in-law involved in the business. He he recognized that I did have that in me a little bit, a kind of a creative entre entrepreneurial spark. And so he said, come on out. I was living in Utah at the time. Come to Chicago. Let's test this out. We don't know. And they didn't know either. They didn't know if this model would work, um, sort of bringing a bunch of young, hungry kids in. Um, but not really with ideas necessarily. We didn't come to the table with an already started business. So it was a bit of a non-traditional venture capital firm, but they, what they would do is they would say test small. And so this was kind of the use as little capital as possible to find out if the idea is viable. We opened a kiosk yep. at a local mall to test small. Then we found this really fortuitous location the one I'm talking about on Grand Avenue is one of the best retail locations in Chicago, honestly, just off the Magnificent Mile. Really lucky. I mean, honestly, this was fall of 2008. Recession was just hitting. There was vacancies in these high production malls. We were lucky. They, they saw us as a kiosk. They said, you could work as a brick and mortar store. We're going to give you, you this space on the cheap. And so we put it all in to that space crossed our fingers, opened the doors, and immediately, honestly, immediately, it was a flood of people coming into that store. It was a very high volume store for us. And so we said, all right, we've got something. Went back to the venture capital firm and said, we think we've proven this enough. They gave us some more capital and it just sort of kept going that way. We would test in little small increments, find out if it worked, and then get more capital because it worked. That's awesome. For anybody listening to this, the lesson that Scott just laid out, there are a couple in there, but the one that I want to point to is minimum viable product. I've seen so many people blow 40, 50, 100K to create something before they even know if anybody wants it. And in today's market, you can launch Facebook ads just to see if somebody is interested in something. You don't go to just your friends and family, go to cold audience and see if they want it. That is awesome. And then the role that luck plays both of you like tim thinking about like you were a software entrepreneur and you thought that was probably going to be your future and you're like oh i'll mess around over here i mean what did you tell your family when like the car game started to take off were you like were they shocked were they excited were they like maybe you should keep your day job how did that conversation go well i i did keep my day job i was uh running both at the time um you know again it was a nights and weekends project and uh, it, 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 it had small aspirations to start. It was just like, this is something that I think is funny. Um, our group of friends have been playing it for a few years. So again, to the example that you just gave of like not having to spend a lot of capital to know if you have something, we had inadvertently what I now know as playtesting um, this concept. And uh, that gave me the confidence to, to, to move forward with it. We did do a Kickstarter. So again, like with the tools that you have today, uh, it just makes it so much easier, not easy, but easier to, to launch something, you know, into the market. And, um, 
yeah, and then and it, it, it just it worked out that we ended up getting acquired. The software company ended up getting acquired by LinkedIn. Um, I was able to focus full time on you know on the card game and the, the card business moving forward. And um, ultimately, that was acquired as well from a large private equity backed uh, company called Play Monster. And uh, but I was hooked at that point. You know, um, I think what I learned doing the software company you know, night and day different from a board game company, publishing company. Um, I kind of enjoyed working more by myself or with, you know, one or two other partners, not having a big team, uh, more of the bootstrapped approach, uh, just better quality of life also. Uh, and so those were things that just all resonated well with me. And it's just something that, you know, I'm still looking forward to pursuing to this day. That's awesome. I mean, did you so obviously you play games. You said you would play card games at the lake house and that's kind of where this came from. Yeah. But were, were games always a part of your life? Was that something that you really liked or did you dive into it more as this started to take off? And as you started to get hooked, did you started and did you start reading like game theory books? Did you look at like the science behind games or is it solely just, yeah. I like to have fun? I'm, I'm more in that. I like to have fun because I, I, I'm going to be careful here because what I've learned is that there is a very serious gaming crowd. Um, and so I don't want to um, misrepresent myself. You know, the game that I created was a party game, a uh, very simple game mechanic, uh, not, not, not complex, uh, you know, at all. And uh, that's more of the style um, of, 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 you know, just more for fun, um, not take it too seriously, uh, but do enjoy games. I mean, grew up, you know, as a kid playing games with, you know, with, with uh, cousins and going to grandma's house and things like that. Um, but, you know, not, nothing too crazy in terms of like a game aficionado. Okay, last question that I wanna come back to. I asked it in a little bit softer way, but I wanna ask it again. Like, what does your family think now? Because I mean, you sound like the coolest uncle in the world, right? You own a games company. <laughs> Scott, you owned marbles. I mean, like, I would think both of your families would just be like, these guys are the coolest people in the world. But then my mom, who's a school teacher, she's always proud of me. She has no idea what I do now. Like she can't wrap her head around it. But she's <laughs> like, don't, are you sure you don't want to be like a, a lawyer or something? Like she's, I still right. get that. Do you guys get that? Or are they just super happy? Do they expect you to show up with games at family time, like Christmas or holidays? Do they expect you to just like bring something cool? How's that go? For me at the time, um, it was a little bit easier because I didn't have any, like my own family, right? So I was still single on my own, didn't have, you know, many uh, expenses or people counting on me. So mm -hmm. from that perspective, it made it a little easier to, to take on some risk. And specifically with, you know, the, the, the board game business, I mean, it's a box of cards, right? It's not like there's uh, a whole lot of like upfront investment, really. Um, it's the intellectual property um, that is valuable in that case. And so, you know, it was a great kind of foray into, um, you know, that style of entrepreneurship and specifically into toys and games because the cost of capital was so little on the upfront. Scott, tell me a little bit about like marbles and like when this took off, what was that like? for your family where they just, yeah, go ahead. So my wife knows I have a creative soul. I, I was working at a startup in Utah that required zero of my creativity and it was rough. And I think she knew it, I knew it, we knew that wasn't sustainable. So when this opportunity came about in Chicago and I started this business, it was really just perfect. And we had, we had a young daughter at the time 
Um, but I think like, she was fully on board for the risk and the, and the roller coaster ride that it became. I will say my kids have no idea what it's like to not be surrounded by games. Uh, it, it, we have a, a lot of people have a game closet. We have a game room with, I think it has to be 2000 games in, in there. I mean, it is, our, our home is filled with games. They don't know otherwise. It's what they've been raised with. Um, but it is, I think it is odd. I did run into a high school friend. I hadn't seen her really since high school. She loosely knew what I was doing. I ran into her two weeks ago and just chatting. And she said, so tell me, you make toys and games for a living? And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's what I do. She's like, oh, okay. And that works for you? Um, like, sort of implying like, are you able to actually make ends meet making toys and games for a living? And I'm sort of like, well, yeah, like well enough. Uh, it well enough. But I think people continue to be a little surprised that this is a, a job. It's like Tom Hanks's character in Big. Like, do, do people really just sit there and play games for a living? And they're like, kinda. I mean, there are there are really hard parts about this about this business. Um, but but it is a very good and exciting business to be in. I mean, that is awesome. I I play games. I. I threw out my TV. Longtime listeners will know I threw it out at Y2K. We burned our TV when I was in college. Like we had a, a TV burning ceremony because we were in college. And I mean, what do you do at a liberal arts school? But the I, we play games all the time. Uh, my girlfriend and I have something similar. We have like all the games in the living room. Uh, we'll go over and like that's our that's a night, right? We'll have people over and we'll play. We'll get more into games in a little bit. But that kind of brings us full circle. So you guys knew each other. You got, you became friends. This was 2008. So now we're in 2022. Let's talk about where Paddle Smash came from. I mean, was this like you guys were drinking one night over Zoom during Corona? Was this a little bit before that? Where did the idea for Paddle Smash come from? And tell us a little bit about the game because I think it's super fun. Yeah, I think being in the game world, you're constantly approached by friends saying that they either they or someone they know has come up with a game concept and they want to know if it's a good idea and i am happy to be that sounding board it's really fun for me um and so i would say at least once a week i'm chatting with someone that has a game concept to be honest i would say 95 percent of the time i'm like be careful like i'm not going to tell you not to do it but be careful um it's maybe not great <laughs> the idea um but there are those nuggets. And I'd say uh, about a year ago, something happened. Someone approached me. They had a, a family member that had created this, this idea. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'd be happy to chat with them. And so I got on a phone call. He showed me some videos of him playing. And so I met Joe. Joe is this, this uh, he's a structural engineer. He's got seven kids. Wow. They, the kids love spike ball. And Joe used to be able to keep up with him in spike ball, but can't anymore. It was like these teenage boys just sort of dominated. And uh, Joe was like, all right, well, I don't, don't want to play spike ball with you guys anymore. And then they found pickleball and they were like, oh, well, kid, this is great. Sort of an equalizer. Joe's able to keep up. Problem was the nearest court was 20 miles away. They'd go. It was always packed. And they were like, what's something we can have in our backyard that we can kind of merge the two ideas? And Joe being the engineer that he is, he's like, well, I'm going to make something. And he built this rough prototype. I was gluing plastic together using PVC pipe, but built something that was kind of a viable test. And mm -hmm. over the course of two years, 
He figured out the right angles, the right height, all of this. And that's right when I met Joe. Joe was like, I've got this thing, been playing with family for two years now, but I don't know what to do with it. I want to get it out of the world, but I don't know how to do that. I'm a structural engineer. So is there anything here? I'm like, well, I think so. Let me come and see it in person. I went and saw it in person. I was like, there's something real here. Like really, I've, I've now reviewed, I'm guessing 10,000 ideas. Um, I mean, it's what I do for a living is I review ideas and decide if they're good. So every once in a while, there's one that's just is like, I can't stop thinking about. And that was this. I was like, all right, there is something real here. I, so Tim and I, we've already done one business together. And I was like, Tim, like, here, here's like, here's a real one. Like I've got a, I've got a fish on the line here. And Tim's like, all right, I want to try it first. He flies out from Chicago to Utah and we spend a weekend playing the game together. And it was, I mean, just like with Tim, it was like, all right, there's something here. And so with that, we were like, all right, let's, let's go for this. Let's pursue it together. Hey, thanks for taking a moment to check out this episode of Grow Your Impact, Income, and Influence, the number one show helping you reach millions. Have you ever thought about building your own webinar or using public speaking to reach your ideal audience? Well, if you'd like my help with it, over the last several years, I have built more than 40 live events for clients just like you. In the last 18 months, I've helped 32 entrepreneurs build their webinar with over $5 million in cumulative sales. If you'd like to see how I can work with you, or if you'd be interested in having me speak at your event or be on your podcast, go to steven.coffee, that's S-T-E-V-E-N dot C-O-F-F-E-E, -E, to book a short call with me and see how we can work together. All right, let's jump back to the episode. Tim, I want to jump over to you. What what was like your thought process when Scott called you up and told you about this? I mean, obviously you got on a plane and you flew out, but were you like, eh, pickleball, I don't know, or tell me how that how that worked. Like what were your thought? What was your thought process and then what helped you about it? Well, you, you bring up a good point. So Scott is an avid pickleball player. Uh, Scott plays a couple times a week. Um, I do not play pickleball, um, plays spike ball, but not, you know, wasn't as familiar with pickleball, um, but also just, you know, knowing Scott. So we both had sold our companies, I'd say around like 2019 um, time period. And so, um, you know, and we've worked on various things here and there, and, and also we've become close friends. And so I talk to Scott all the time and I know how often he's getting hit up with different ideas from different folks. I know, you know, that he's looking at different concepts all the time. And so when he is impressed with one, it really string, you know, it, it, it struck me uh, because that's never the case. You know, normally it's just like, ah, I don't know about that one, you know? And so um, I could just tell immediately how serious he was about, you know, the potential for this one. Um, and so again, not me, but me not being a huge pickleball player, I was like, I need to check it out for myself. Uh, and so, you know, like we said, we, we flew out there, uh, we took it to like some local pickleball courts that he has near his house in Utah. And, you know, people, it was like flies to honey. Um, they just were like super attracted to like, what is this? Um, immediately on the spot, uh, several people were playing along with us. They were like, we just had a prototype from Joe, the, the inventor. They were trying to buy it off of us. And so, again, you're just looking for signals. You know, we were obviously enjoying playing it some total randoms, you know, that we didn't know were enjoying playing it and offering to purchase it. So those were ways that we just look for different signals to say, all right, maybe there's something here. 
that's awesome. I mean, the I want to ask, did either of you have how maybe this is a better way to ask the question. Did either of you have an emotional attachment to it when you took it to the pickleball court? Or how did you prevent yourself from saying like, I really like this, right? Because we all have emotional bias to things. And I've seen people, I know the listeners to this channel, like they've gone all in on something that they emotionally believe in, but didn't test first. How did you kind of stop yourself from being emotional around it? I, I, I think, think that, oh, I'll, I'll try. So I think that... <laughs> This is something I've learned from game creation is that if you ever present to a group of people an idea that you say is yours, you don't get honest feedback. People are very reluctant to give you honest feedback. Um, and so I always, when I'm presenting something, say, this is something, someone else's idea. They've asked me to review it. Help, help me give them some comments back. So it's very important for me to not emotionally attach myself or to even present it as it being my idea. And so when we were taking it to this pickleball court, we were presenting it as a, we're like, we're, we're right here with you guys. We don't know if this is good or not. Uh, so like, let's together figure out if this is good or not. It was not presented as, uh, oh, we've come up with this concept. It's near and dear to our heart. And uh, tell us if you like it or not, because then people don't give you honest feedback. So I think we were still very much on the fence as to whether or not it was viable. And I think I've learned enough about kind of how to find that out to be able to present it to some, we'll call it a focus group and find out real feelings. And so, yeah, down there at the pickleball courts, we, we were not sure still, um, but I would say after a few days of that, we were pretty sure. Awesome. I mean, that's, that is true testing. Tim, I don't know if you have anything you want to add to that. Sounds like you're, I know Scott said he is hyper-creative. Tim, it sounds like you might be a little bit more analytical about it but how did you how did you stop yourself from saying like this is something we want to do how did you force yourself to test it yeah i i was gonna say i, I think i may have been coming at it from the exact opposite perspective which was i don't really want to do you know i i was i was trying to um i i had to convince myself to do it in a way like because i was not i was not ready to be launching something new wasn't looking for a new project to take on it was, you know, like, all right, I've never seen Scott this excited before. Let me check it out. You know, so there was truly no, uh, you know, no, no attachment whatsoever, no emotional attachment. I was hoping to go out there and be like, yeah, it's a good idea, but like, eh, no thanks. Um, I had the exact opposite experience, right? Which is what you, what you hope for, I guess, at, at the end of the day. Like, you just, it was so good, couldn't look away type of thing. I think that, I mean, I try to approach most things in my life like that, like not, I don't want to go through life, like, you know, being negative towards things, but I always want to be like, impress me, like some, do right. something like whatever it is. Like, I, I don't want to be the person and I've learned that through time. Cause I used to be the hyper, like I'm very creative. I'm visionary. And I would just be like, Oh, that's amazing. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Taste, like collecting. Shiny object. Shiny thing, well, that's, yeah. That actually, so that's a question I have for Scott that I wrote down. So you said you're hyper creative. You're probably a visionary. I don't know if you've read Traction or um, Scaling Up, either of those books. They both talk about the visionary versus the implementer. I'm guessing you're more the visionary. If you're reviewing ideas all day, one, how did you come up with criteria as to what makes a good idea versus a bad? And two, how did you stop your shiny object syndrome? Because I've never met a creative person that doesn't have it. 
Yeah, I think I do. And it's like that next shiny thing I jump to. I honestly, the most important thing I do is find a good partner. Um, like, I, you know, partnering with Tim is sort of the key for me. Um, you know, Tim or, or someone else, but Tim has been, has been my go-to for the last few projects. Uh, he's creative too, but he's, he's more of an implementer. And I think we balance each other in a way that he keeps things moving along and keeps me focused. And so when I sort of have that next shiny object thing, he's like, well, okay, but let's, let's uh, back burner that for now and focus on the thing at hand. So for me, it's, it's finding a, a partner. I, in marbles, you know, I had a team of, of hundreds of people. I knew that wasn't right for me. It was sort of like I spent most of my day on the uh, people management side of the business and not being able to be creative. But then the opposite of it, me by, by myself, I also didn't love. I feel like I need a sounding board and I need someone to keep me focused. And so for me, it's finding a partner that does that. Awesome. Tim, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw this one back to you. Like working with Scott, how do you guys divide up the conversation and how do you, how do you keep things focused? What are, what are some of the, the things there? Because I think, I know that there are husband and wife teams that listen to this show. I've talked to them where one of them has like, they, they balance each other out, but they're also, they always kind of feel like their intention. Do you have mm -hmm. a, do you have a method to how you guys communicate and how you guys look at things? Um, yeah, so we are, uh, like, I mean, we've already discussed Scott's incredibly creative. I'm probably a little more of like the taskmaster. Um, and so, you know, with just being a two person operation, you can't really be uh, all over the place. Like there's like certain phases, especially when you're launching that you have to focus on. So early on, once we got the prototype, it was all about design. Um, cause we had to take what, you know, the inventor created was like a very rough prototype, not ready for mass market. So we had to work with, you know, an engineering firm to come up with a version ready for mass market retail. Um, that's certainly where Scott's going to be a little more shining with like the design of the product and the colors and, you know, that type of a thing. Um, but, you know, as we get into like, you know, manufacturing and like, what's, what's next and just always staying on task with, with what's next, not, I don't know, talking about too far in the future, you know, at this point, it's like, you know, we haven't, haven't we don't even have a product yet. Why are we talking about what we're trying to do when we're selling, you know, tens of thousands of units a year? So it's just a matter of like, focus on the task at hand. And, you know, and then from there, we finish the design, move to manufacturing, move to now, you know, marketing, launching, you know, it'll be all the things now we're post-launch, customer service, continuing to scale, et cetera. So, you know, that, that's really, you know, I think where we kind of play well together. I mean, that's awesome. I'll add, the, I'll add one thing, ahead. I'm sorry. One thing that I think that Tim has implemented that I probably like inside have resisted is a three times weekly call. So every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we hop on a call and we do it religiously. There's really no, I mean, occasionally uh, there'll be a conflict, but most of the time we are on that call. And it just gives us this sort of accountability moment, a check-in, mm -hmm. what do we need to do? Who's going to do it? And let's check in again the next, the next meeting and find out if we've done it. I, I, it's like a small, simple, kind of a no-brainer thing, but just that kind of like recurring, recurring check-in, I think is important for us. Awesome. I, I mean, I think that is probably key in anything because it keeps you guys on the same page and keeps you guys moving forward. 
Um, yep. it, it's, it brings up a question of, I mean, Tim, you were in big software. Scott, you had a huge team for a while. I know when I was in corporate, my least favorite thing and what I fought my boss on all the time was going to meetings because we would go to endless meetings that never seemed to get anything done. But then there's like that balance. I had, so I had several hundred people under me as well. And I had to have meetings with them, but I tried to keep them ultra lean to like the bare minimum. And I think that's, that also, I wanted to ask you guys about team size. Do you guys want this to be a big team? Do you guys try to keep it as lean as possible and just hire for the absolute things that you need done? How do you guys look at that in the scale up process? Because right now we're launching, if you guys are listening to this, this launches in September, is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good question. Um, I'd say, you know, for the time being, we are trying to be as lean as possible. You know, we really do um, just work with kind of consultants and freelancers that we need to engage with um, for any given time period that we're in. So in the early phases, it was, you know, the design. We worked with a kind of a world-class engineering team out of Montana. Um, you know, next it's moving into, you know, branding, graphic designers, um, website designers, you know, so we do kind of have this uh, cadre of people that we've worked with in our past lives that we can tap into to go to the bullpen when, you know, a certain task is required to, you know, outsource, you know, the skill set to, to work with somebody else. Um, and so we're going to run with that for, I think, as long as we can. And then hopefully, uh, I, I think that we'll get a point in time where we'll have to start bringing some of that stuff, you know, more in-house. Um, as we grow. Awesome. Um, so tell us, I guess, Paddle Smash, we've been talking all about the business of it. Tell us a little bit about like the game and playing it and the experience. And what, what did you guys see in those people that were playing it next to the pickleball court that made you both be like, this is it? Or some of the experiences that people were having? Explain yeah. the game. I'll explain the game and then kind of talk talk about what I think makes it special. So the game, mm -hmm. it is a, a hard base. So it's a plastic base. It's it's hex, hexagonal in shape. And then it has a net system that kind of plugs in to that base. And so you know, hopefully you can share some photos with the listeners yeah. so they can see what this looks like. That, uh, yeah. uh, so it looks a little bit like a hexagon with this net system coming up on out of it. You can play it with two players, but we prefer four. We think that's optimal. And the way you would play is you'd be serving um, down into that base, the ball's popping up out, and then you can bump set and spike the ball back into the court. So if you've played spike ball, you know how that works, where you've, it's a little bit like the volleyball bump set spike. We saw, we call it bump set and smash, mm -hmm. um, you know, pickleball, okay. that downward shot is a smash. And uh, what we love about this and I think what sets it apart from other games and I'd say even from a spike ball is that I think this is easier to play um, and uh, we've seen this evidence just as we've gone out and play tested it older people can play with younger people and I will say I think that's the magic of, of pickleball um, it, it, why it's becoming such a fast-growing sport is that you don't really can go to the public courts and I'm out there playing with 70, 80-year-old people and they're holding their own. They're doing great because it doesn't require as much skill as tennis, that serve in tennis and big, huge court. And so what we really thought about the entire time we were developing this is how do we keep play contained? How do we keep it, the sphere of play, as small as possible? 
So why is there a net system? The net system requires you to hit a downward shot, which then causes the ball to pop upward and not outward. Um, you know, it's just all of the decisions. Why do we have a, a hard base instead of a net? Well, a net, if you hit downward with the paddle, that ball is going to fly 100 feet to the air. It's not contained anymore. And so that hard base helps to dampen that shot and keeps it contained. Where now you'll have 10, 15, 30 hit rallies with, with um, paddle smash. Just something you don't see in spike ball. You know, you occasionally see long rallies, but it's rare and especially rare when you've got someone that's 15 years old playing with someone that's 40 year, year, years old. That's, I mean, I'm, I'm Googling it right now because I wanted to see if I could find it. So we're going to link, there's a YouTube video that I'm going to link under this. If you're listening to this and you're like, I want to see this in action, there is a YouTube link under this that will show you a little bit. Um, I think it's awesome. I mean, I like pickleball just for what you said. It's not as involved of tennis, but I still feel like I'm getting a workout. It's still fun. It's still challenging. And I can play with all the different age groups. So I'm really looking forward to this. So where do people find more information? Where should they go? I know we're going to link it down below, but tell us a little bit about the site. Yeah, so we're live on paddlesmash.com. And um, right now it's available for pre-order until the, the units are on route to, to us. So, you know, if you, if your listeners were to be, you know, one of the pur purchasers, they'd be getting uh, the absolute first production run of the game. So if you have some early adopters uh, that are listeners, you know, they'd get a, a first run edition of the game, uh, which should be available, you know, early September, 2022. Awesome. I mean, it's, I like games. I love playing games. I love the fact that it can be played in a smaller backyard and you can travel with it. I like that a lot. Um, I have a couple questions about games specifically, sure. which did you guys out of all the games that you have seen, this is one that's for Scott that I'm going to throw into Tim, but Scott, out of all the games, 10,000 games that you've ideas that you've seen 2000 games in your house. What's the go-to? What's like, people are coming over, we're going to play. What's the go-to? All right. My favorite game is not a game that most people love. So my favorite game is Trivial Pursuit. And anytime I find a group of people willing to play Trivial Pursuit with me, that's what I play. Uh, the problem with it is it's just, uh, most people hate trivia. You know, you go to a party, half the party hates trivia. So that's not my go-to. The game I'm most proud of that I would say just really resonates across the broad spectrum of people is a game called Otrio. Um, it's a game that I brought out under my brand. It's invented by a, a guy named Brady Peterson. And that game is so simple. It's a, uh, it's a souped up version of tic-tac-toe. So, you know, okay. the broken piece of tic-tac-toe is the game almost always ends in a tie. And so I said to Brady, let's see if we can fix this. And Brady came back to me. Brady is another engineer. So just engineers are good at thinking through problems like this. Um, and I said, all right, Brady, here's a broken game, tic-tac-toe. Come to me with a version of tic-tac-toe that isn't broken. He came back to me and, and showed me this board he'd created. He actually has a CNC machine at home. I built this whole prototype. It was beautiful. And he got rid of the X's and it's all just O's. And, but they're three different sizes of O's. And so you're playing and there's three different ways to win with the O's. And again, this is one you have to kind of watch a video to understand. But I have honestly, I don't think I've ever played that game with someone and not had them finish by saying, oh, wow, I need that game. Um, it's just like a classic, easy to play game that everyone should have on the coffee table. 
awesome. I like that a lot. So Tim, card games. What's your favorite card game? Because you created card games. <laughs> um, I don't know if it does it count as a card game, but I, I think my favorite game is Taboo. So if I'm, you know, getting into a, you know, a party situation with other folks there, uh, I've always loved Taboo. And um, I've random funny story. I, my wife and I were doing a road trip on the California coast, randomly at a winery, talking up the girl uh, who was giving us a pour and um, mentioned how I'm in the game space. And she's like, I know the founder of Taboo. And uh, I was like, oh, that's wild. She's like, where are you heading next? We happen to be going to Carmel where he lives. And uh, she hooked us up. And so I've now become friends with uh, and know the, the, the creator and founder of Taboo. So <laughs> I like that's it before, awesome. And I love it now that I know the person behind it. That's I mean, I can imagine like calling him up and being like, hey, I created this game. Do you want to get a bottle yeah. of wine? And like you're yeah. in Carmel. So <laughs> why not? Right, right. And when you make that's a game like Taboo, you get to live in Carmel. <laughs> it's like you, you, honestly yeah. i mean this is the magic of this industry is that it, it there are lots of hits and if you get a hit you can do very well uh you know i i'm good friends yeah. with the inventor of boppet and he's uh you know i think he is living a, a great life off of the royalties of boppet um you know just that's one of the things exciting about this industry is it's kind of churning a lot of concepts year after year but if you get an evergreen it really can stick for a long long time that's i i agree with that for sure you see the games i mean the games that we play growing up are still big games today but there are always new games coming out scott i have one last question for you because i think that i'm going to get some people reaching out to me saying how do i contact these guys because i want them to look at something if if people put something in front of you not necessarily what traits does it need to have, but how do they package it so that it is worth your time to look at it? Like, instead of just dumping a pile of stuff, like here's a big FedEx envelope with a bunch of junk in it, what would what do you look for? Like, what's an easy way for you to look at something and say, this might be good, this might not? I mean, the guy with, with Paddle Smash brought you a PVC pipe and, and some stuff. What's a good way? Like, how should it be streamlined? Yeah, I, my initial business marbles was acquired by a big company called spin master and i joined that company for three years and i was in the role of inventor relations so i was actually in the seat all the inventor concepts were coming to me and i would not review a concept that didn't have a video of people playing it um, so i'd say that's like the biggest deal for me is i need to watch a real group of people playing that concept um, so you know what i'm looking for is can you explain the game in 20 seconds or less um, and then what does it look like in play? Um, and, and I can just tell from watching people play whether it has sort of that magic or not. And this, it can be your friends and family, it can be shot with an iPhone. This is not a professionally filmed video, but I need a video um, and I need a 20 second pitch. This is sort of the elevator pitch because I then am able to say, all right, this is something that I can pitch off of a shelf in Target or Walmart. Um, you know, it needs to be something that is viable with a, you know, the 20 second pitch has to be boiled down to what you put on a, on a package. And so I'm looking for that. I need something that can be easily explained and understood. Awesome. Tim, do you have anything to add to that as more of the implementer, more of maybe the logical numbers behind the scenes? If somebody is looking at inventing a game, is there anything they need to think about as far as logistics? 
No, I mean, not bring a full circle. You said it earlier, but I mean, I think there's a lot you can do without spending much money. You can, you know, grab a group of friends, test it with them, um, grab people that aren't your friends to get more authentic feedback. Um, just, you know, that, that, that acts as a certain form of, of market research right there before you're investing a lot of time or capital. Um, and so just go get, try raw authentic feedback on your idea and then, um, then take next steps. Awesome. I want to thank both of you guys for coming on and sharing with us. The game is called Paddle Smash. It is linked down below as well as some videos. You guys have been amazing guests. It has been great to interview. I want to say thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having us on, Steve. That was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. No worries. Until next time, everyone, take action, change lives, make money, and play games. We'll see you soon. Thanks for checking out today's show. Do you want the fast and easy Cliff Notes version of the actionable steps from today's episode? If so, go to actionbullets.com and download yours today. Also, if you're looking to start using story selling in your business and have stories do 90% of the hard work for you, grab my free course at storyselling.how today. Till next time, take action, change lives, and make money. We'll see you soon.